How many of you have seen the movie Hoosiers? Hoosiers is the Cinderella story of a small town Indiana high school. Where's the high school located? Anybody? Huh? Hickory. Hickory. Am I watching the wrong movie? It's a small town Indiana high school basketball team that overcomes adversity in order to win the state championship. Norman Dale, played by Gene Hackman, is a former college coach with a maligned past, hired to, hired to coach the boys' team from Hickory, Indiana. In this scene, you will see how the coach prepares his team for the biggest game of their lives. Coach Dale, Coach Butcher, welcome to Butler Fieldhouse. Uh, your practice schedule is from 10 to 12. The game will be at uh, 7 o'clock. If you need anything, why just let me know. Kind of off the record, I think this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to Indiana basketball. So we're all behind you. Good luck and tear them up. Thank you. Good luck, guys. Listen to the backboard. What is it? Fifteen feet. Fifteen feet. Scott, put Ollie on your shoulders. Measure this uh, from the rim. Buddy? How far? Ten feet. Ten feet. I think you'll find it's the exact same measurements as our gym back in Hickory. <laughs> okay, let's get dressed for practice. Hoosiers is about an underdog, David-like team from little old Hickory taking on a Goliath of a team. If you've seen the movie, you know how it turns out. And if you haven't seen the movie, pay attention to how this morning's Bible story turns out, and it'll give you the gist of the movie. This morning, we're going to talk about one of the most famous stories from the Bible, one of the most famous stories from the Old Testament, one of the most famous stories uh, of all. It is the story of David and Goliath. And I believe that this story comes down to pride versus faith. Pride versus faith. We're going to talk more about that in just a few moments. Now, if you haven't been with us for a while, we've been talking about famous stories from the Old Testament. We've talked about creation, Abraham, talked about Moses and the golden calf. Last week, we talked about Samson. 
Uh, and uh, this morning we're going to continue our, our series, Stories We Know, by turning to the story of David and Goliath. And so if you've got a Bible, or if you can find a Bible, or grab a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel 17 in the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath. Now, the story of David and Goliath begins in 1 Samuel 16 with the introduction of David as one of the three major characters in the Old Testament. David was a young shepherd living with his father and family in Bethlehem. The prophet of the Lord Samuel was sent to Bethlehem to anoint the next king of Israel, the one who would be Saul's successor. Samuel went to Bethlehem to sacrifice a heifer, and he invited Jesse's family to sacrifice with him. The family arrived, and Samuel thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. God said to Samuel, Do not consider his height, or his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. The Lord rejected them all. Samuel asked Jesse if he had any more sons, and Jesse said that there was still the youngest, and he was out tending the sheep. They brought David in, and the Lord verified that he was the one who would be the next king of Israel. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power from that day forward. So let's fast forward to chapter 17 in the story of David and Goliath. About 15 miles west of Bethlehem in Judah was a place called, I'm not going to say this right, it's S-O-C-O-H. I'm going to say it's Soka, but that might be wrong, or Soko, or Saka. Take your pick. It was there that the Philistines had gathered their forces for war. On the other side of the valley, on top of a hill, the Israelites had gathered their forces. They were on one hill, and the Philistines were on the other, and there was a valley in between them. There was a Philistine champion named Goliath, and he came out of the camp one day and challenged the Israelites. The Bible says that he was over how many feet tall? Nine. Over nine feet tall. Yao Ming is one of the tallest players in, in the uh, NBA, and he's like seven foot six. This guy, Goliath, over a foot and a half taller than Yao Ming. This is a, a gigantic man. His armor weighed 5,000 shekels, or about 125 pounds. 125 pounds of armor. He had a spear with an iron point that weighed about 15 pounds. This is one big dude we're talking about. He comes out, and he asks for one man to come out and fight him. If Goliath won, then the Israelites would become the servants of the Philistines. If the Israelite won, then the Philistines would become the servants of the Israelites. For 40 straight days, this continues. Goliath came out, defied the armies of God, and defied the armies of Israel. No one from the Israelites wanted to fight Goliath. And to tell you the truth, I don't blame him. This is one big guy. And, you know, there's no way this puny little Israelite is going to stand up to a guy who's over nine feet tall. Verse 11 says that Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So let's check in on David. He's going back and forth to Saul, uh, from Saul to his father to tend the sheep. He would go to Saul and he would play the harp uh, and uh, ease Saul's troubled mind, for Saul was troubled by an evil spirit. David's three oldest brothers went to war with Saul and heard Goliath's taunting every day. Jesse sent David with some grain and bread to his brothers in the Israelite camp. He also sent some cheeses to the commander of the unit. Kind of a nice thing to do. Look at uh, verses 20 through 25. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. 
As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So David asked some guy standing near him what would happen to the guy who killed Goliath. And they told him what I just read a moment ago. David's older brother Eliab overheard him talking with those guys. And the Bible says that he burned with anger against his brother. This is what he tells David, verses 28-29. He says, uh, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Kind of like an older brother. (laughs) Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? David turned and someone else uh, asked someone else what would be done for the man who struck down the Philistine champion. Word gets back to Saul that David is asking questions about Goliath, and Saul sends for him. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been a a fighting man from his youth. David protested and said that he had killed a lion, and he had killed a bear, and that Goliath was no match for him because he defied the armies of the living God. He said that the Lord delivered him from the lion and the bear, and he would deliver David from the Philistine giant as well. Saul relents and says, go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul gets out his armor, and he dresses David in it. Problem is is that Saul was a grown man, and David was still a boy. He was not used to Saul's armor. So he grabs his staff, and he uh, chose five smooth stones from the stream and put them in his shepherd bag. Now, Barbara Kuda said she's been singing a song all week. Do you want to hear Barbara sing? No, no, no. We won't do that to Barbara. Only a boy named David. Anyway, he approached the giant with all of his armor. And so the giant's there, all of his armor on. David approaches him with just a sling in his hand and those stones in his bag. Meanwhile, Goliath was coming out toward the Israelites, and he spots the boy David. He sees David, and this is what he says to him, verses 43 and 44. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give, you your, give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I like David's response, verses 45 through 47. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This is a little kid. Today I will give, you the, give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Goliath comes towards David to attack him, and David ran towards the battle line. He reached in his bag, pulled out one of the stones, he put it in his sling, and he hurled it towards the giant, Goliath. The stone struck Goliath and sunk into his forehead, and he fell face forward, dead. David ran over to Goliath, pulled out Goliath's own sword, and cut off his head with it. That day the Israelites chased down and killed many Philistines. The Bible says that the dead were strewn along the road all the way to two of the cities of the Philistines. The pride of Goliath could not overcome the faith of David, and God gave David the victory on that day. Speaking of pride, few people have had as many natural endowments or achievements to feel proud of as Edwin Hubble, the astronomer for whom the Hubble Space Telescope was named. He was a gifted athlete, 
As writer Bill Bryson recounts at a single high school track meet in 1906, he won the pole vault, shot put, discus, hammer throw, standing high jump, and running high jump, and was on the winning mile relay team. That is seven first places in one meet, and he came in third in the broad jump. In the same year, he set a state record for the high jump in Illinois. On top of his athletic gifts, Hubble was extremely good-looking. One person described him as handsome, almost to a fault. I know that feeling. <laughs> Another called him an Adonis. If that, <laughs> if that weren't enough, Hubble was intellectually gifted. He studied physics and astronomy at the University of Chicago, and he was elected to be one of the first Rhodes Scholars at Oxford. When Hubble began his career as an astronomer at Mount Wilson Observatory in California in 1919, only one galaxy was known, the Milky Way. But Hubble showed in a landmark paper that in, in 1924 that the universe contained many galaxies. Then Hubble proved that the universe was expanding, an idea no physicist or astronomer had conceived of before. Either one of these achievements would have guaranteed Hubble a place in history. Yet for Hubble, all of this was not enough. He claimed that he spent most of his late 20s and early 30s as a prestigious lawyer in Kentucky, when in actuality, he spent those years as a high school teacher in Indiana. Hubble boasted that in World War I, he had bravely led frightened men to safety across the battlefields of France. The truth was, he arrived in France only one month before the armistice, and probably never heard one shot fired. Hubble told people how he daringly rescued drowning swimmers, but that story never happened. He bragged about how he had taken on an exhibition bout with a world-class boxer and surprised the champion with an amazing knockdown punch. That also was too good to be true. You know, there are two main characters in this story. Obviously, they are David and Goliath. These two characters also had obvious character traits. Goliath's principal character trait was pride. Just like Hubble, the giant Goliath had quite a bit of pride. He stood opposed to the armies of the living God, and he defied God because of his great pride. A lot of preachers, including myself, talk about slaying the giants in our lives when we talk about this passage. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about Goliath and the giants in our lives, and I, I've tried to think about what the, Goliath, what, giant, well, what the giant Goliath represents. I believe that he represents pride. Because of his pride, he believed that he could stand opposed to God and the armies of Israel. He thought he could survive. Proverbs 16:18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, our pride leads to our own destruction. That was Goliath's downfall, and I think that it is the downfall of humanity as well. When we are swelled with pride, we are brought low. Proverbs 29:23 there says, A man's pride brings him low. I believe that those who stand opposed to God today do so because of their pride. A couple years ago, I went and saw the movie Superman Returns. I'm a big Superman fan. I love Superman. And uh, I remember something that Lois Lane said to Superman. Superman had been gone for five years searching for remnants of his home planet, Krypton. And when he returned, everyone was excited. Everyone was so happy to see Superman again, except for Lois Lane. She told him, the world doesn't need a savior, and neither do I. The world doesn't need a savior, and neither do I. Sadly, that is the attitude of billions of people in our world today. I don't need anyone to save me. I don't need someone to save me from anything. I can do it on my own. That attitude stands diametrically opposed to God and his son, Jesus Christ. That attitude is a prideful attitude, just like Goliath's. The reality of the situation is that God can bring anyone down, even Goliath. It's not a bad thing to be humble either. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And grace is what we need. 
It is the free gift of salvation that only God can offer through his son, Jesus Christ. If we will believe in him, repent of our sins, confess him as Savior, and obey him in baptism, we will be saved. But that takes a lot of humility. And let's face it, Americans aren't too keen on humility. But it takes a lot of humility to say, I can't make it on my own. I need a Savior. I need someone to save me. I cannot save myself. To realize that there are no, quote-unquote, special understandings between God and us. To realize that we must humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and let Him lift us up. To not glorify ourselves, but to let God glorify us like He did with David. On the opposite end of the spectrum from Goliath's pride is David's faith. He not only believed that God would give him the victory, but that God deserved the victory. David believed that he was fighting for God and that God was fighting through him. He wasn't afraid of any nine and a half foot tall fighting champion. God was on his side, so why should he be afraid? Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, why should we be afraid? You see, faith does away with fear. David had every right to fear for his life. Goliath was stronger, he was taller, he was better equipped, and he was more experienced than David. But David had a secret weapon, God. God was on his side, and David would not fear, and David did not doubt. He knew who was in charge, and he knew who was in control. And there are times in our lives, I know it, there are times in our lives when we are afraid. We're afraid that God will not provide in our hour of need. We might be afraid that something bad will happen to someone we love. We might be afraid that we'll contract, contract a terminal illness. We might be afraid of dying and death. We, might, we must remember, though, faith drives away fear. God has promised in his word to provide for all of our needs. And yes, yeah, something bad may happen to someone that we love, but God comforts and brings healing. We might contract an illness that threatens our lives, but God can and does heal. And we're all going to pass away, but you know what? Jesus has promised to take us to be with him in that place that he has prepared for us. We have nothing to fear. Life can be scary. I'll admit it. I know it. Life can be scary, but life without Jesus, it's even scarier. For life with Jesus carries it with the assurance of a happy, never-ending. For life with Jesus is eternal. It goes on forever in his glorious presence. It will never end. No more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more sadness, no more death. That's life with Jesus. In his book, Beyond Jabez, Bruce Wilkinson shares the story of an old African woman who demonstrated faith in God's power to provide. Although she lived in a tiny mud hut, she had taken care of the responsibility uh, taken on the responsibility of caring for 56 orphans. 56 orphans. A small group of Wilkinson's Dream for, Africa, Dream for Africa volunteers had arrived in this grandmother's native Swaziland to plant gardens. On the final day of their visit, they came upon her tiny home surrounded by the many children in her care. A number of little gardens had been dug up all around the hut, but oddly no plants were growing in any of them. The volunteers learned that earlier on the same day, the woman had told the children to go dig lots of gardens. When the children asked her why, since they had neither seeds nor money, she responded, Last night I asked God to send someone to plant gardens for us. We must be ready for them when they come. Wilkinson's volunteers had come with hundreds of ready-to-plant seedlings. God sent them to the very place where one of his servants had begged for his intervening hand. The faithful grandmother and her children were ready when the answer came. Now that's faith. That's faith. That's stepping out and saying, okay, go dig the gardens. We don't got no plants. Go dig the gardens. God will provide the plants. That's faith. That is putting the stone in the sling and letting it fly. So where do you need faith this morning? Where do we need faith? With what do you need to trust God this morning? 
Is it a loved one who is sick? Is it a broken heart? A desperate need? You know, there, I'll be honest, there's a lot going on in our lives at the Cornet House. We don't know what's going to happen. We are so, we, I so desperately want to just grab control of the steering wheel. I just want to grab it and say, it's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I want to take control of the situation, but I know that if we will let go and trust God, he will work everything out for good according to his will and purpose. He will work it out for in your life as well. We must trust him. We must believe that he loves us. Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that God really, really, truly loves you? Do you believe that God will do what is best in your life? That God will do what is best for you? That he knows what is best and he loves you and will do what is best for you. It may, na- it, uh, it may not seem like it's the best thing at the time. Whatever you're going through, you're going through it <laughs> hard and heavy right now. And it may not seem like it's the best thing at this moment. But God has a way of working everything out for good. I think about the life of Joseph. I mean, here's this guy who is a righteous man, uh, a faithful follower of God, loved God. And his whole life, just nothing but tragedy i mean he uh, gets sold into slavery by his brothers and his father's told tell is told that you know his um that he had been killed uh he gets sold into slavery goes to egypt starts to prosper everything's going great fine and then all of a sudden uh potiphar's wife lies about him he gets thrown into prison and here he is rotting away in an egyptian prison and uh he's got to be thinking what is going on what have i done wrong why is this happening to me and so uh that happens uh, and, and, and eventually he's released from prison. He interprets uh, the dreams of Pharaoh and he's raised to a high place. His brothers come to get food, you know, and, and, and uh, his brothers find out that it's him and, and they're just terrified and they're, they're afraid of him. And he's like, you know, you got nothing to be afraid of. What you intended for evil, God intended for good, the saving of many lives. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. All the while through the circumstances, Joseph kept his head about him, he kept his faith about him, and he understood that what had happened to him was going to turn out for good. And God used Joseph to save many, many lives. Another example, Jesus on the cross. What seems like the most horrible, terrible thing that could possibly happen, the Son of God, the perfect, innocent, blameless Son of God, crucified for our sins. Crucified. What, what were the disciples thinking as they watched him lifted high up on the cross? What were they thinking? The dream is over. Who is this guy? We put our faith and trust in him, and now all of a sudden, everything's done. But see, God knew what he was doing. God, what, it, what was intended for evil, uh, where Satan thought he had won a victory, Satan ended up losing. And God won the ultimate victory. What looked like was dire circumstances, what looked like was something terrible, what looked like was a terrible tragedy, God turns around and tends for good, the saving of many souls. So whatever you're going through at this very moment, whatever's going on in your life, no matter how hard and no matter how difficult it is, do you know, do you believe that God loves you? Do you know that he is going to work it out for best? I can't tell you what that's going to be. I can't tell you how it's going to work out, but I know what the book of Romans says. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. God will work it out. And I'm preaching to myself. God will work it out. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know. I got to know that he is going to work it out. You may be sitting there this morning 
but just a sling and a stone in your hands. And you're facing the biggest giant in your life. You may be trembling in your sandals as the giant mocks you. Do not fret and do not fear. Let's have faith, my friends. Let's have faith. Let us trust in God, the maker of heaven and earth, to give us the victory in the battles of life. And just like David, he will give us the victory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we desperately need victory in our lives. We are, there are people in this room who are going through the ringer, who are just having a difficult time, who are having, facing hardship after hardship. And God, we need victory. We need you in your mighty power to overcome the giants in our lives. Help us to have faith like David had faith. That even as he stood before the giant, he knew who was in control. As he stood before the giant, he knew who was going to win the battle, who was going to win the victory. And it's you. You are the, the victory winner. And, and Lord, we need victory today. Help us to remember that you are the one who loves us more than anyone else. Help us to remember that you have a plan and that you will work it all out for good. Help us to, to remain faithful to you. Help us to have faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.